hear, feel, think, and listen to today's episode of A Grand Line Reborn, a One Piece slash Final Fantasy fourteen podcast brought to you by Third Impact Anime. We are here today with our um, second episode of 2023 uh, <laughs> in late August of this year. Uh, man, it's been a it's been a year. It's been a year. I know that our last episode we talked about the delays. Uh, I think at first we had issues with Bill's hand. He had not quite, but almost a broken hand, if I remember correctly. Is a freaky finger accident <laughs> but yeah <laughs> oh boy freaky finger accident that sounds a little fun uh, but it, it feels like forever ago that we had that but that caused the initial delays then we had an amazement show up in may and i know we were really focused on that we had a bunch of new panels and content so that took up our time then i had to prepare to go to las vegas for FanFest, which we'll talk about here in a second mm-hmm. and it's just been one thing after another it's kind of been delaying this podcast again again i know it sucks to talk about delays and i don't want to focus on it too much but just wanted to get a little bit of explanation out there but uh before we begin uh i think we put the uh the cart before the horse or the the um the night before the polka dot horse dog thing bird <laughs> And uh, I feel like we should introduce ourselves for anything. I'm Tobias, and I'm joined by my first mate, Bill. Hello, Tobias. And I wanted to say, what happens at the Golden Saucer stays at the Golden Saucer. (laughs) That is certainly true, including all the falls and uh, issues you have with the new leap of faith, self-stop. (laughs) <laughs> well, for those of you who are just joining us now, I mean, episode five of Grand Learning Born, uh, our entire purpose for this podcast is, well, Bill and I each have a, a deep and abiding love for a piece of media. In Bill's case, it is One Piece. In my case, it is Final Fantasy XIV. So we have challenged each other to experience the each of these things from a fresh perspective and talk about it here on this podcast. It's kind of fun to be deep into a thing and want somebody else to experience it and hear their thoughts. Previously, we were trying to match ARC for expansion release, but I think because of the delays, we sort of decided to play this a little more loosey-goosey in an effort to sort of get these out on a more regular basis. I think we're just going to provide regular updates for this show, whether that is maybe only we go through a, a patch or only read a couple chapters. I think that I'll make it easier to get these episodes out rather than try to rush through an entire 40-plus hour RPG or 100-150-chapter arc of One Piece. Yeah, I challenge uh, the listener, can you recap a major saga of One Piece within one hour? (laughs) I don't think it's possible. (laughs) (laughs) I think we discovered that in our last episode with uh, not even all of Alabasta, just the second half of Alabasta. There's just so much stuff that happens in Alabasta that is like, man, I feel like we just recounted an entire epic story. <laughs> That's what One Piece likes to do. All right. Well, before we get into the main meat of our show today, uh, the recap and discussion of the Skypia arc of One Piece, let's do some more catch up. So I know in the past we've talked a lot about the excitement and anticipation building around the new Netflix live action one piece show and that comes out at the time of this recording next week yep 
In like four to five days, it's coming out. And we've had a couple of trailers that come out already. I want to say maybe two or three teasers and trailers. Bill, what are your kind of thoughts on those teasers that have come out? What do you What do you think about what you've seen so far? I mean, they're the the promo slash hype machine. They're doing a really good job. Like they've done a number of videos where the actor for Luffy, uh, in a recent one, he met Ichiro Oda in his studio. And it's them talking back and forth and about their thoughts about him, about the actor getting cast and their excitement over the live action show. Or there's another one where the two Luffy's meet, the one from the animated series uh, and uh, live action where they have like a little cute little conversation. And it's the cast seems to be really pushing of just we're all really excited for this and they're really into it and based off the trailers that they're showing it it seems like they know the material and are not going too crazy in terms of the uh getting away from oda's original designs and look of the world so yeah i definitely can see a bit more um there seems to be a certain amount of love that's come into this here it certainly feels in a lot of ways like one piece Mm -hmm. i think I can't myself, I can't help but really just remember that One Piece itself is a very uh, over-the-top, a very cartoony type of show, a piece of media. And when I see some of these live-action people, like you see live-action Sanji like do a really ridiculous kick, that almost you can almost see the wires holding him up. I don't know, man. There's a, a level of dissonance there that is, is tough for me not to notice. So I want to reserve judgment until I see it. I'm going to be watching all eight of episodes alongside Bill. But man, yeah. it's just it, it's hard not to notice that, and it's hard not to prejudge that. I I can what I can see your issues, but I mean Marvel was able to take over the top superheroes and make them for the most part down to earth and not so crazy that you, it was hard to believe if you exclude yeah. the typical CG fight at the end of every Marvel movie, but they were able to get it down. And I think at least from what I'm seeing, there's a lot more involvement from Oda and his team, and they're being more keenly aware of what works and what doesn't work. Whereas I feel with the Bebop adaptation, Sunrise basically was like, we know this is popular in America, Netflix is giving us a ton of money. Here you go. We're going to rubber stamp uh, Watsonabe's name on it. And we'll just take the bag of money and go. <laughs> it, At least from the outside perspective, it doesn't seem like that's the case here. But again, it's all in the execution. And I'm not saying that this is going to be perfect. I think I am going with low expectations and I'm hopeful. So comparing it to the MCU, you mean at the very end, we're to see Naruto show up and say, I'm making, I'm making a team, the Shonen Jump Cinematic Universe. No. Oh, no. <laughs> Starring Tom Cruise. <laughs> well, we'll see how that plays out. Of course, we've only got about a week. I'm sure this episode won't even come out until after it's already out, but we'll have a review episode on that, I'm sure. So uh, look out for that.
So, like I said, um, I went to FanFest last month in Las Vegas. That was kind of a trip. Yeah, I, I was really happy for you. I know this is something that you and our uh, friends Basil and Anna have been wanting to do for a while. I know you mostly talked about it on their great show, Carbuncle Chronicles. Uh, but just kind of give us your general feelings about FanFest and what was really exciting and and some of the news that came out that you were hyped about. Yeah, like you said, it was a bit of a journey, even just to get there. This was the biggest fan fest so far they've done, and they capped attendance at 15,000 people uh, for the show. Even though we weren't able to get in through the initial uh, lottery, we had people who couldn't go and friends of ours who had extra tickets that were able to send those over to us. So it just kind of worked out, thankfully, because I've been you know, wanting to do this pretty much since I started playing back in 2020. Uh, so yeah, we traveled to Vegas here, flew out that, I want to say that Thursday. I have not personally been to Las Vegas since I was a kid. I think we took a family trip out there when I was about eight years old. It was my first time really going back to the West Coast in any capacity. So I wanted to spend some of my time actually seeing some of the sites on top of doing the nerd stuff. And boy, they really scheduled this during the record-breaking heat wave. <laughs> I want to say 114 degrees was the high for one or more of the days there. It was Oof. insane. Yeah, I thought it was bad here and 90 degree Greensboro, but no, 114 hits different, especially when it's dry heat. Uh, man, that was it was insufferable just to be outside. But no, I did go out and try to see some of this, kind of hang out in some of the casinos, just really take, do the touristy thing and look around and see things. I'm not really a gambling man myself, and I didn't really do any of that. But just taking that trip was kind of fun. It was it was unique. Because I think a lot of people have said, and it was certainly my observation, that Las Vegas seems to be a place stuck in time. It seems to be a playground for a certain age of person, uh, a generation before ours, let's say. We see advertisements for Barry Manilow shows and... You know, everything just feels like it's it's catering to to boomers more than it is the younger crowd. <laughs> Very strange, just to kind of kind of be there and, and and surrounded by that. As far as the show itself, um, I, we kind of go into more detail on the episode of the Carbuncle Chronicle that should be out by the time this is this episode is out. Mm-hmm. But I guess the way I want to sum it up the most is that you know I've been doing anime cons for a long time now, uh, since two thousand four, and I definitely the veteran of these shows i've seen most of what they have to offer i kind of have used to them i can kind of wing doing anime cons and even presenting at anime cons but it was kind of awesome to be the newbie in the room for the first time in a long time you know i've, I've certainly been playing the game for a few years now i've i've lost my sprout i've beaten in walker but for for being surrounded by people that know this game and know this material more than you do it was a fresh experience, and I think that kind of took over really any of the complaints, uh, the very real logistical complaints that happened at FanFest this year. You know, mm. I just had to sit, sit back and just be in awe of everything. The, the entire convention t- took place in one big convention hall, and half of that was devoted to, like, these... They have these facades they built based on areas in Midwalker to make you sort of feel like you're there in these areas, and it was just kind of amazing to see that 
and almost like a Disney World-esque you know, theme park experience to see those, while the other half was devoted to the, the main stage and the, the rows of seating for that. And 15,000 people in total doesn't feel like a lot when you look at some of the larger uh, other like anime shows and whatnot. I want to say Animazement this year was right under 13,000. But when you pack all of those people into one convention hall rather than spread them out over an entire building, you are keenly aware of all 15,000 more bodies surrounding you <laughs> at all times, <laughs> uh, which is kind of wild in and of itself. It certainly has been the most dense convention I've done in, in, since AWA 2019 Ooh. when that felt like it was just full of people constantly. Uh, but no, it was kind of amazing. It was it was different because it's only two day show rather than the three day show that I'm used to with with anime cons. So trying to pack all of that stuff and doing all the things that you wanted to do in those two days uh, certainly was a little different. Trying to avoid going outside at all costs because of the heat was a little <laughs> bit different. Uh, trying to wrangle getting food inside of that convention center uh, with all the lines and ridiculousness. Uh, I felt a little different than I'm used to. Uh, kind of, like I said, I know my way around a lot of anime cons and can kind of have learned how to do things better. But all of that con wisdom was thrown out the window with FanFest. Yeah, and I got to see, I went to three different concerts over the weekend. I did the piano concert on Friday with Keiko. Uh, we did the Primals concert on Saturday with the, the full band and Masayoshi Soken. And then on Sunday, we did the symphony show at one of the other hotels, resorts, mm. uh, on the outskirts of Las Vegas. So it was kind of wild for me to see three different music acts uh, throughout the weekend. <laughs> also another way that I don't typically spend my anime convention experience. But I wanted to pack everything in for this one trip, you know? Right. I guess the two big things, at least for me, that I'm excited about was... They announced that I'm going to probably say the expansion wrong, so correct me if I'm wrong, Tobias. But I, is it Bloodstorm? Uh, <laughs> nope, Bloodstorm nope. is Bloodstorm is the gag from The Simpsons. Oh no! But it's, <laughs> it's 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 Stormblood. 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 Correct. Correct. Right order. Thank you. Oh, thank goodness. You can't you can't yank me off the podcast now. I I, I corrected it. <laughs> uh, that is the. That is going to open up for free-to-play players, such as myself, in October? In October? Yes. Yeah, so, yep, patch 6.5 is coming out in October, late October, they said. And they've even started ramping up with the Tombstone event, which we'll talk about also here in a second. But yes, Swarmblood will be added to the free trial. And on top of that, they're also expanding the duty support, you know, the AI-controlled players for dungeons throughout the rest of the Stormblood dungeons. So by the time you get around to playing it, you shouldn't have to play, feel like you have to play with other people for most of the duties. You still have to do it with trials and the post-game content, but they, well, they're very proud of the fact that you can play through the entire game by yourself if you so desire. Yeah, so I'm I currently right now, I'm still a sad free-to-play player. But I'm excited that a new expansion is opening up to me, and I'll be able to explore it. And uh, as Basil and Tobias have been telling me, the expansions keep getting better and better and better. So yeah, I, I'm I'm really excited because I I enjoyed Heaven's Sword, um, but I would say it 
so far it's been it was it was good to okay um so i'm i'm looking forward to getting into the post game of heaven sword and then going into the next expansion yeah i think stormblood is one of those things that generally is considered the worst of the expansions by a lot of people and i think a lot of that is because at the time things were different mechanics were different and they experienced it a little bit differently than what their expectations were. I think what I know from Bill, I think you're going to enjoy it, uh, in all honesty. Mm. And I would just say keep your expectations low. Let it surprise you in the ways that it will surprise you. And I think you'll enjoy it even more. That's, that's pretty much what I did. I expected it to be a bad experience, and it was not a bad experience. And so thus, I enjoyed it more than how they went in expecting it to be amazing. Mm. And the narrative continues to be great, um, with great revelations and big things happening, so I, I wouldn't expect anything less in the next expansion that I'll be playing. Yeah, I know you've been kind of taking a break, uh, playing other games as well, letting me catch up since I'm kind of behind in our challenge, but you've also been playing another Creative Business Unit 3 game, uh, Final Fantasy sixteen. I know. Uh, 14x102.16. <laughs> well, I wanted to, I was kind of curious. I didn't expect you to be into this game. What kind of drove you to, to play it? Uh, just, I'm, I'm notoriously bad about sticking with video games. I've become more into just either reading or watching movies. And so I decided, you know what? I should, I've never really played a traditional Final Fantasy game because for a multitude of reasons of like when I was a kid I didn't really grow up, grow up playing RPGs and then as I got older I just this, the time periods of like the PS2 and the PlayStation 1 just kind of passed me by so I wanted to give a traditional Final Fantasy game a try and for my first go round with a traditional Final Fantasy game I quite enjoyed it a lot. There's a lot of things I love about it. I love the soundtrack and the combat system. Uh, there's some problems I have with the narrative, but uh, I will save that for a podcast that we will probably do on 16 in the future. But overall, I enjoyed my time with the game. Yeah, I know that you've played a couple other open-world action-style games. I know you were big into the Horizon, Horizon Zero Dawn, and uh, what was the other one? Horizon, Horizon Zero West, right? Horizon Horizon uh, Forbidden West. Right, Forbidden West, yeah. I know you were kind of playing those a while back, and I know you've enjoyed some of those action games here. It just kind of it struck me as, as odd, because I know that you've, you've tried to play FF7 Remake a bit and kind of fell off that. Uh, I just I find it kind of interesting that you chose 16 and not only played it, but, you know, stuck with it for a long period of time. Well, I, I will admit I am a, uh, I'm a fake gamer because I, I, like, <laughs> I like narrative mode. I don't, have, I don't have to deal with the high stress mm. of combat and yeah. getting mad at my TV. <laughs> and I can just enjoy the story and feel like, oh, I've, I'm actually knowing what I'm doing. And I think that was one problem I had with 7 Remake. And so now that I've finished 16, I'm going to give 7 Remake a second go-around and play it on the classic turn-based mode and see how that goes. Yeah, I would recommend that. I like 7 Remake's battle system a whole lot. Uh, I, I'm not sure how 
much of a turn-based game you can actually make it, but I believe that mode does help a whole lot for sure. Well, like you mentioned, uh, we're planning on doing a full FF16 review podcast with the Third Impact Anime crew. Hopefully, as soon as I catch up with the game myself, uh, the tracker says I'm 58% of the way through. Uh, so I think we're going to, yeah, I'll probably be the last person to finish it before we do a full episode. So watch your feeds for that. To turn it back to, to, to 14, I know it's been a hot minute since you've kind of played. What do you remember the last thing doing in, in Heaven's Red? So I am still in the very early stages of post-game Heaven's Word content. Right. It's dealing with the revelations of the church and mm-hmm. the dragons and the country of... Uh, Heaven's Word are trying to reconcile. Oh, I'm sorry, Ishgard. Thank you. Of Ishgard are trying to uh, kind of uh, bridge the gap and uh, knowing how things are going to go, people are probably not going to be so open to that as they've been taught for millennia to uh, distrust Dragonkind. So we'll see how things go on that end. All right, well, we'll be excited to hear your thoughts on one of our future episodes of A Grand Line Reborn as you finish that. But for those playing at home right now, you have just missed the Moonfire Fair, the big summer event. Uh, Bill, did you do that? Did you have Hank do that for you, I think? I don't remember. I'm, I'm always okay. bad about keeping up with the events. Okay. Well, the cool thing about the newest event was that they had a Super Sentai Power Rangers outfit you could get by doing it uh, <laughs> one of the games running around looking like power rangers and they even have a set of power rangers inspired poses uh available on the mog station i think we took a we had the fc get together and take a few pictures uh in those glams it's kind of a, a fun thing they had a stage in the uh, the physical area next to costa del sol that had an exploding background like the color fireworks that you see in a lot of sentai sentai shows Mm-hmm. And it kind of would periodically go off with an explosion of color. So to let people pose and do that kind of stuff in front of it. That was a lot of fun. But that's over. The new event is The Rising, which starts today as of this time of this recording. Uh, the Rising is the yearly anniversary event for the game. And this one in particular is even more special since it is the 10th anniversary of the ARR sort of revitalization of 14. They have, on top of the, the the conversation, the yearly talk we have with Yoshi P, they have a new mini game out, and you even get a mount this year. You get the Phoenix Ooh. mount. So it's a very, very good year to participate in the Rising if you usually <laughs> don't. And uh, uh, also starting to... Go ahead. 
I just wanted to say as a, as a sidebar, I did last year's event where you talked to Yoshi P, and the mm. thing I always find funny about them is just kind of the... The, the thing with MMOs is like you're the hero, right? You're you're yeah. the ultimate hero that saves the world. But <laughs> those events really break that immersion because it's usually like a bunch of players crowded around one quest giver. <laughs> so it's, it's like everyone get in line, come on, come on over here, talk to this person, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's something you notice a lot when these events happen. Is that you go to something like the Gold Saucer. Or you got a Ruby or Exchange in Ulta and see like 20, 30 people crowded around one person. What's going on over here? What are, what's going on? Are, you, are we selling drugs? Like what, what's, what's, what's happening? Uh, but yeah, the, the Arising itself is by its very nature kind of fourth wall breaking. It's because it, it doesn't flat out say, hey, I'm the producer of this video game you're playing. But it is, it's a character named Naoki Yoshida pretty much thanking you for playing. And it's kind of touching in a way considering you know the entire story behind the game which we talked about last episode with the no clip documentary so alongside the rising event we've also got the new moogle tombstone event and that will be running through the release of patch 6.5 which you talked about uh, like all the moogle tombstone events you participate in duties to build up irregular moogle tombstones of whatever they're called this time, and you can cash them in for uh, rare or outdated or difficult to acquire items, whether it be mounts or emotes or equestrian rolls or even just housing items. And this year is special because they have a ton, <laughs> a ton of things. They are tying it into the 10th anniversary, so there's a lot of uh, older mounts and whatnot. They have a ton of things that I want to get this year. And so I can see myself grinding out a lot more through the coming months to get that. We'll more like than not do an episode on the Carbogo Chronicles regarding all those individual things. So take a listen if you want a lot more details. But I think, Bill, if you want to sort of build up until the release of 6.5 and Stormblood being added to the MSQ, rather Stormblood being added to the free trial, I think this is a great time for you to jump back in and play with us. Yeah, it'd be a... Uh great fun and i imagine that our friends uh anna and our other friend andrew will be trying to get every glam and every mount that they missed up upon the sun so it'll be uh oh yeah it'll, it'll be a fun uh mad dash to get everything you want yeah in fact i'm pretty sure i'm gonna get roped into that tonight <laughs> it starts right now we are it's gonna turn into a, a whole other job now <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's go ahead and take a quick break and we'll get into Skypia. Sky, and all, do 
Let's go ahead and talk about Skype. Yeah, so I think for both of us, it's, we're trying to dust off the recesses of our brains, try to remember what's happened since the last time we've engaged in you know our current arcs. Skype has been a long time coming for me. It's one of those things that I would read a couple chapters and put down for a bit, and then read a couple more chapters. And then come back later and thinking, man, this still isn't over yet. Come on, Skype. Yeah, I got a podcast to do. I keep reading it and it just doesn't end. And it's like, oh, man, Bill's going to hate me. It's taking so long to read Skype. Yeah, uh, yeah Skype was, I think it was not as quite as long as Alabasta, but I feel like it dragged out a little bit more than Alabasta, which took me a long time mm. to chew through. It was a very chewy arc for sure. So let's go ahead and do a, a recap of the story before we get into discussion here. So we, we leave Alabasta almost immediately after the Straw Hats get attacked and they meet the Sariyama Pirates, a monkey and gorilla themed pirate band who, who challenge them. They, um, I think, want to say they, they do like an, an underwater segment where they go into a barrel thing, mm-hmm. a submersible barrel. And discover some treasure at the bottom of the sea. They sort of think that they think think that is linked to like an El Dorado esque city of gold. And then they go to the local island of Jaya, which we pretty much meet a bunch of people that will be important to the story at a later date. There's a lot of sort of setting up, long term setting up that happens on Jaya. Uh, we see Luffy runs into the pirate who we will later know is Blackbeard. Uh, we see Bellamy and Bellamy's crew. We even get a quick shot of Doflamingo and some of the other seven warlords that are up until now have been so important to the background of One Piece. Actually, side sidebar, because yeah, I'm having to rejog my memory. Does Luffy and Bellamy have a fight? And Bellamy does does his uh, spring hopper power? Where he's moving all around. They do. They have a fight. What initially happens is Luffy and the Straw Hats show up. Bellamy sees that their bounties are more than his, which does not make mm. him happy since he's kind of a, an, a like a very antagonistic asshole to everyone else around him. So he challenges mm. Luffy to a fight. And uh, at the same time, I want to say that Bellamy's crew has stolen the gold that Montblanc Cricket, who I think we haven't quite met yet, has. Mm-hmm. So that's how they sort of tie it together with what happens at the the second part of the Jaya the Jaya mini arc? Well, I did, I did want to I want to briefly mention I love the Bellamy fight and just how Luffy handles it because mm-hmm. you Luffy to everyone it seems is like oh he's really goofy he's not very serious but just how Bellamy and his crew are very vocally antagonistic. And are very braggadocious about like their yeah. status and that, whereas Luffy's very quiet. And even when he, when Bellamy's being aggressive, in the in like the bar or the inn, Luffy doesn't respond. And it reminds me mm-hmm. of when Luffy was a little kid, and yeah, Shanks had yeah. and Shanks had to deal 
with the rowdy pirates that were causing a mess in the town and just it just kind of shows just usually the strong ones are the quiet ones and yeah i'm glad you made that comparison as i thought about that too and just uh the bragging bragging and touting your uh your bounty total it's hiding your own weakness which is is shown in how bellamy is taken out in one hit by luffy (laughs) and i really like this part because we actually get back to the pirating parts of one piece we spent so much time in Alabasta with the really fantastical islands. Then we go to Alabasta itself, and we're stuck in this sort of Arabian-inspired kingdom for so long that that is just what the story is. And we get this brief glimpse back into the pirating world before we pretty much ignore that for the rest of the arc. <laughs> <laughs> because what happens is they get the gold. They um, they find... There's a story, uh, they talk about the Nolan the Liar is sort of the large overarching theme here. There's this children's story about a pirate that lies and has supposedly found a city of gold. But when the other pirates went to go claim it, it wasn't there. So he's a liar. And we actually meet his ancestor, Mont Blanc Cricket. On the other side of Jai Island, there's this guy, one of the, the monkey crew, actually. He looks like he's got like a chestnut on his head, like a wearing a chestnut as a hat. But his entire thing is wanting to prove everyone wrong. He doesn't want his ancestor to be known as a liar. He believes that no one was correct. And he's sort of trying to find the city of gold and having his monkey pirates do these submersible dives to try to find the existence of this, this, this El Dorado. Mm-hmm. And now that Luffy returns his gold and has made friends with, with Cricket, they, I guess they kind of figured out that there's something, there's like a Sky Island? I think it was a map, right? So they own Jaya, yeah. they hear about a Sky Island. A big, a big galleon ship, I think, falls out mm. of the sky. And yeah. as, the gal- as the galleon ship falls, a map gets into Luffy's face. And Luffy... Right, in right. The- and the map says Skypea. And from there, they're curious because, and they also find out that the log pose, which is the guiding system for Nami and the crew to get from island to island, that it's pointing up to where Skypea right. is. And so for them to get to the next island, they need to go to Skypea uh, in order to progress. And how are you going to get your pirate ship, a naval vessel, up into the sky to go to a sky island? Well, there's this thing they call the knock-up stream, which is almost like this geyser-like explosion of water that happens in the sea that can destroy, completely destroy other ships. It's, it's that forceful. So they have figured out when the next knock-up stream is going to happen and approximately where it's going to be. They reinforce the Going Merry to withstand the blast and they set out and do in fact get propelled by this knock-up stream up into the sky where they land on the sky island of Skypia. I think what is honestly the best part about the entire arc to me is this world that they've created. Like Skypia, the sky island, is made of clouds and there's clouds you can stand on and there's clouds that you can't. There's clouds that act like water and flow like water. 
and they've created this setting where like it's just full of clouds and i think that was kind of fun how they integrate that in the world they've created i love also the journey that they go on to get up there like it really hammers home the fantastical nature of one piece of them basically flying up via the geyser uh to get to the skyland and just the fun fantastical element of it yeah and we and it doesn't let up on the fantastical at all because one of the first things we see uh, they get attacked by a monster uh, and they are saved by this sky knight this old man this kind of don quixote kind of figure he's an old thin frail man he's wearing this full plate armor and he's riding on this bird horse thing it's like a bird it has wings and feathers and a beak like a bird but it has legs like a horse it's very much like a pegasus sort of deal and they're saved by this weird guy and his weird horse who introduces himself as gan four and he warns them to not continue on their trip uh, up to skypia knowing that they are outsiders uh, but of course, that's never stopped Luffy and the Straw Hats before. So they continue. They reach the Heaven's Gate, where they are met with a like a, a toll, a toll gate, and they are told they have to pay one billion X tolls per person. Uh, they have no clue what an X toll is. They certainly don't have a billion of them per person. So they just say screw it, and they continue through the gate, uh, where they are then marked as criminals by whatever government exist in skypia uh, they get up to skypia the the country of skypia itself and again this is kind of where we do more of this world building we see that every people everybody that lives in skypia sort of looks like angels they have these robes they have these wings uh they have these little curly antenna right <laughs> mm-hmm. uh they they have a very particular sort of look about them which is interesting uh they one of the big plot points we see brought up throughout the arc are the, 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 the dials, these little objects that can do things like forcefully prepare, propel air and create concussive force. So we see one of the first things we see is like basically a CD they've created with a little boat with a, a dial that can push the boat. And even later, we see people have made weapons where they can attach a, a dial to their open palm. And when they go to punch and hit somebody, it creates even more of a powerful hit through that. Mm. That's a, a common refrain through, through Skype, yeah. Uh, but like I said, uh, Luffy and the Straw Hats are automatically branded as criminals. So they didn't pay the toll. They were attacked by the local police force, the White Berets, uh, where they gained even more of a bounty up in Skype, yeah. And because of that attack, they are branded by the kami that rule this land. There's these godlike figures that live in a heaven-like place called the Upper Yard. If I remember their structure, it's very much like there's, Kam- there's the kami who's the leader. Um, and uh, the, the knight that we, meet, that we met earlier, he was the former kami. And he, was, he right. and his crew were defeated by this current leadership group and the the way the way it's structured is kind of um i don't know how else to describe it but it's kind of like a samurai clan type setup even though it's not that way Mm. where i can see there's like where there's like the big leader that everyone follows and there's the um 
his his lieutenants. But right. as I like to call them, there's the big boss, and then there's a million sub bosses you have to fight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Nami gets captured. They have to go rescue Nami. I like the uh, the faux kind of jet ski they have, where it's basically like. It's a stick and a pad and the little um, air things that are attached, and they're yeah. able to just kind of float around in the on the on the cloud surfaces. It's pretty fun. Yeah, it's very. You know, now that Zelda Tears of the Kingdom have come out, it very it feels very much like a Tears of the Kingdom style device that you would put together <laughs> in <laughs> a community crash. Wonder if Oda is like time for you to give me some royalties, Nintendo. Let's go. <laughs> So yeah, Nami gets on one of these jet skis and propels herself uh, away on accident. Uh, Luffy decides to go uh, take the crew and go track her down, but really he just wants to explore the upper yard and find this city of gold that you know was the entire reason I came up here to begin with. And that's when things sort of start breaking bad. So the Kami and this are going to be the villains of this arc. You know, they are headed by one guy called uh, Ineru in, I want to say the anime, but the manga just calls him Enel, E-N-E-L. Okay. And he's very much a sort of a one-piece take on sort of the Japanese god of lightning and thunder, a sort of Rajin, a Raijin sort of figure. He's got this these sort of drums, these taiko drums that are wrapped around him in a halo sort of configuration. And he has a lot of lightning power, so it really does feel like Oda's going for a, a, a take on that, on that sort of mythology. Now, of course, calling so, them a kami, the word for God, also leans to that. Can you explain him to me? Because out of all the major One Piece villains, he is confusing to me and like, what is his ultimate goal? Because at least with Crocodile you understood what his ultimate goal... You kind of understood what his goal was. And in later villains, their their origin is better explained. But at least for me, the villain in Skypiea is, a, is, a, is a kind of a weak link because he's not really explained. What's more explained is the backstory of the world itself and not the villain and his... And his minions. Yeah, I I completely agree that he's probably the weakest of the major villains we've seen so far. As as a character, he's certainly not weak, you know, in power level terms, of course. But it just feels I, I kind of with you there, where I, I I just kind of felt like, why 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 what are you doing here? What are we doing? What really is your goal? I think it was ultimately just destruction. He initially had come from a different sky island, which he destroyed, maybe or. I mean, probably destroyed in the same way we see in Skypia. But he journeyed to Skypia and sort of took over to show his, exert his power. And his goal in this case is to find another Sky Island, what he calls so he's, in the manga the Endless, var, endless Vars. So he's, so he's basically like um, Frieza in Dragon Ball, where he's bored, they're bored ruling the continent that they control. So because I'm no longer, I'm going to leave and be a ruler of this great heaven. This world needs to be destroyed because it's useless. It's without me. So goodbye. That sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think, uh, yeah, I don't think the comparison to Frieza's is bad at all. I think it makes a lot of sense. I think Frieza on the other hand was meant to be a bit of a despotic tyrannical ruler and wanted to rule things. 
but Enel just wants to destroy everything around him to be, I guess, prove himself the most powerful uh, being he, that exists. Which, and he yeah. also seems like I'm superior because I am Kami, I am God, but I'm also sort of kind of aloof about my actions where he knows what he's yeah. doing, but, but there's no... I don't know how to describe it. It's there's not like super there's not hard malice towards what he's doing. But yeah. It's it's very much feeling of well, I'm done here. So now this world is useless. I must destroy it in order to get to the heavens where I will only take I think like 75 people with me. And then he then he has like a tournament and where he's like only see who survives yeah, and... yeah. Well, let's go ahead let's go ahead and get into that so the the church the crew go to the upper yard and we the audience are kind of slowly getting information about the, the kami and his lieutenants and through these camera cut sequences you know, to show them planning uh so they see these people these heathens have in fact come to the upper yard so they engage them in a couple of trials they call the ordeals and this is really where we see the individual uh, lieutenants, the sub bosses, if you will, show up and challenge the crew. I think the the one that's most memorable to me is when they are traveling up the floating cloud river, and I think it was Satori has the the, the ordeal of balls. I want to say where there's a bunch of cloud balls that float around, and when they explode, they add things like snakes or guns or explosions in them. There's a few of those, but I think they kind of pretty much lead up until the upper yard itself and like you say they have a tournament arc um <laughs> and l has had a survival game where he says okay currently there are what it's like a hundred people in upper yard and that's factoring in the shandy and gorillas which we'll briefly talk about in a second but he says at the end of the day only one will survive like he's using his godlike omniscience to predict that only one person will survive and he thinks that's going to be him and uh, another thing we see that the Skypian, some of the Skypian Kami and more powerful people have is this power of mantra, which is almost like a mind-predicting, fortune-telling power that they have. It uh, surprisingly doesn't seem to be a devil fruit power, since everything else is a devil fruit power in One Piece. Mantra is not. Mm. <clears throat> yeah, they, they. I think they illustrate that in like the first sub-boss fight, the guy with the... Uh... With the exploding uh, f- uh, fireballs thing, yeah, the the fireballs where he's like, "You're gonna kick, you're gonna kick right, you're gonna swing your sword left," where he's mm. able to predict the movements of the straw hats as they fight. And uh, one one thing I will say about the ordeals section was that we also find out about this gorilla forest. So on top of there being the normal people of Skypea who created a, a civilization there. And separate from the calming of the upper yard, there is a guerrilla force called the Shandians that believe that they are the true rulers of Skypea, the true inheritors of Skypea. They think that the Kami has, you know, taken over their lands and and repressed their people. So they are also trying to stop um, NL and his crew for other another reasons. Another common One Piece story beat of repression and trying to. Uh regain freedom exactly so when the lead up to the survival game tournament arc you have the strats you have the kami and then you have the shandians that have all come together 
And the Shandians are where we see a lot more um, interesting uses of the dials that we talked about. So they pretty much have made like guns and rocket launchers almost through creative use of the dials. And they have these almost like these ice skating sort of things for their feet where they can skate on the cloud layer, even the water cloud layer. So mm. a lot of the aesthetic uh, to Skypea and this arc are like them skating around on this cloud layer and the Kami's minions that have these goat-like heads and reject dials on their palms sort of fighting against each other. So very slowly we have the wrap-up of the survival game. We see a lot of this fighting happening. We see the strats get involved as well. Eventually the sub-bosses are all defeated in various ways. Much like in Alabasta, it takes time to show you these people, what their <laughs> powers are, and show you how exactly the strats outsmart their foe and defeat them. Uh, for the interest of time, I'm not going to recap every single one since there's a lot, and it's been a while since I read that part. But what it boils down to is that we see Anno's final plan. And he what he wants to do is reach this... I think he's got taken the gold of of the Eldorado Shandia and morphed it into a big a ship, almost like an airship. Mm-hmm. And he will use his power to destroy Skypia in the search for an even better uh, Sky Island, what he calls the Endless Vars. And of course, through the power of friendship, uh, Luffy's <laughs> able to overcome well, the power of friendship and the power of being an idiot. Uh, he is able to <laughs> defeat Enel simply because you can't predict my moves if I have nothing in my head, head empty, no thoughts. And <laughs> Luffy does his head empty, no thoughts, <laughs> idiot look, and Enel just can't can't predict his thoughts anymore. He's an idiot. And finally able to, in a very wacky Luffy way, defeat the lightning god Enel mm-hmm. and save Skypiea. And in this, at least this last part of the arc, we have an extended flashback sequence that lasts several chapters in the manga where we see that initially Noland the Liar came to this island, this island of Shandia, the city of gold, and was able to actually befriend the locals there, befriend the natives that generally sort of push away outsiders. Yeah, the the gist uh, he was of doing this for the, mm-hmm. I was just gonna say the gist of that was he comes his way to, to Skypea and he finds that they're going to sacrifice a young maiden because mm, right. they had been, there had been a curse where people were dying of this infection and no one is able to say you don't need to do this i have a cure for this infection let me let me try and help you um he's able to create a cure and help them and then if i remember correctly he got in trouble with the leader of the natives because he had chopped down the sacred trees that were very important very important to their land but he chopped them down primarily because the infection can spread in nature so by yeah, chopping I think the, they called it like a some sort of tree tree virus or something so by cutting down the trees it ends the it stops the virus from spreading mm-hmm. and Nolan is is leaving and decides I'm going to leave the gold with the people of Skypea uh Therefore, when he comes back, he's going to probably be in trouble because he has no reward for his 
for his journey for the king of that area that he had been commissioned to do. And the leader of the tribe basically runs out and yells to Nolan, please come back. We will create a golden bell that you can hear to guide your way back to Skypia, and we will we will mm-hmm. meet again. And yeah, I I think for me, the flashback story is ten times more interesting than the modern story <laughs> that is going on in Skypia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that really saved it for me. Um, go to this a little bit more in a second, but I completely agree that that really the way it turned everything around and connected everything with the Mont Blanc cricket and the beginning of the Jaya arc, it, it tied everything together in a bow that really made save Skypia for sure. Because what we find out at the end is that when Nolan leaves and goes to come back, he finds that half of the Island has been destroyed because the knockup stream shot half of the Island into the sky and it became the sky Island of Skypia. So the Eldorado, the Shandora did exist it's just up in the air now and none of his friends are there anymore so no one is branded a liar and they make imagine having an accident so bad that you're remembered as a liar in children's stories for thousands of years after that <laughs> how bad do you have to mess up to get that reputation and they, they he's executed for supposedly lying yeah. to the king yep uh, and it's a sad, it's a sad tragic end that he is never able to, to meet the elder of Skypia, and come back again. Um, exactly. And I think I remember that the Kami uh, wanted to destroy the Golden Bell as basically like a symbol of his power, and yeah. Luffy's like, no, we this has to, and. The last bit of the fight is him keeping the golden bell intact and keeping the memory of that friendship and of the promise alive. Exactly. And one of the things I liked about the bell and the different stories was how it was connected with the animals. So we see the Jaya bird who just, you know, shrieks Jaya at the beginning. And then later we see the big snake creature who is initially an antagonist and is a big monster snake that tries to eat the straw hats and in fact does eat the straw hats <laughs> at at least one point. We see it as a little baby snake in the, um, in the flashback and how it's the same snake that enjoys hearing the bell, that enjoys seeing both the Shandians and the Mont Blanc pirates, or Mont Blanc crew, I should say, come together. It's kind of a fun way to, for those elements to come together at the end. Mm.
Well, let's go ahead and discuss this in detail then. Uh, like you mentioned, I think let's go ahead and start with uh, Enel, the villain. And like you said, he's just kind of compared to Crocodile, it just seems like a very weak narrative uh, aspect to the story. He just wants to destroy he's... the island for his own personal goal. And it feels really weak considering how Crocodile was this complex schemer. Yeah, he's very boring in compared to uh, compared to Crocodile, whereas Crocodile at least had the depths of his scheming as, as part of his character, and also he is, mm-hmm. in my opinion, as a villain, a lot more charisma <laughs> and is more yeah. and has a more interesting character design than than anyone who. I find kind of boring and it's kind of generic. And one of the reasons why for me, Skypea doesn't really stick in my mind. There's a few things about I like about Skypea. Like I really enjoy the idea of the world. I love the flashback story. I love the sequence with Bellamy because that's a great bit of character development for Luffy and crew. And I love that. I think it's, I think, is there a teaser that you, um, see if there was somebody else that came to Sky Island? I think most of the, the teasers were uh, when we see that council of the seven warlords at that one point with a bunch okay, of that, people that then it, ignore, I don't I, ignore, what, ignore what I'm saying <laughs> <'Cause> that <laughs> might, I, guess the, I guess that gets revealed later but um, I mean it could be I, I, there were a lot of people I just by the way the, the story worked out I can't imagine a lot of the Skypeans will show up later unless they do in a very particular and ostentation fashion. Like Wiper, the, the, the now leader of the Shandians, I think was a pretty cool pretty cool dude. Can uh, I? Like, will Wiper show up again? Who knows? Okay, I'm going to say something that might be a spoiler, but I need to know because I, I, rem- I don't remember if it's revealed here or if it's revealed later. Okay. So, it's revealed that Goldie Roger came to Skypea. I don't remember. I mean, they they mentioned the poneglyph there. I think Robin's arc was she finding this poneglyph that was in the ruins of Shandora in the in the latter half of the story. But I don't remember. I don't think they mentioned Goldie Roger in particular. Okay, then I'll I'll just keep my mouth shut for the rest of it. But yeah, Goldie <laughs> Roger and his crew did make their way to Skypea. But I guess we'll have to see what happens with that. But um, yeah, with this arc, I think so much of the aesthetic I really liked. I thought the Skypea itself with the people, I think, were interesting. The way they make them very angel-like. Uh, even the way they just say hello was, you know, hey so, was kind of a fun touch. The um, the dials and the dial technology was very interesting. I, I know they kind of mentioned um, integrating that a bit with some of the stuff later, uh, at least on the Going Merry, so that'll be fun to see if they if they continue with that. I liked mm. just, I like the culture, and even the Shandians as this gorilla forest, and tying everything back to Jaya. I thought everything was an incredibly neat touch, and I liked that part about Skypea so much. My issue comes with the fact that they are, in my mind, repeating a lot of Alabasta immediately after doing Alabasta. I wouldn't mind so much if this were like an arc or two down the line and there was a bit of a gap. But, you know, in both arcs, we have the Straw Hats come across 
this new interesting place. They have to save it from somebody that's sort of taken over that has a scheme that progresses as things continue. And through the power of friendship, Luffy is able to defeat that villain, save the, the new place they've gone to, and move on to the next one. And it just feels like they're doing it again. <laughs> and like I mentioned, with the fact that it begins with more pirating adventure stuff, and you know, I've read a little bit of Water 7 now, so I know they continue on with more pirating stuff, at least at the beginning of, of the next arc. Like, I kind of miss that. And to have them go to another country and just do stuff in that country just felt like I was doing this again. But Alabasta does all those things better. I really, I realized halfway through that I would love this if it weren't a One Piece story. If they took the Straw Hats out and just told a story about this Sky Island and its history and didn't need to make it with Luffy and the crew and make it a shonen long-running thing, I would watch, or I would read rather, just a individual Skypea manga if that were the case. Mm. But because Oda is sort of already invested in this one long-running series it's obvious that one piece is really just a vessel for him to tell a lot of different stories independent of each other connected by this little narrative hook to draw you deeper into like you mentioned whatever's happening with goldie roger later and the the overarching stuff that's going on and like when i see that i appreciate what he's doing i think that's kind of interesting way to do it It's an interesting way for you as a creator to keep getting paid (laughs) when you do one thing that is incredibly successful, you know, rather than trying to make your own thing, a separate thing, rather than making a separate Alabasta story that you don't know that's going to sell because it doesn't have your characters in it, rather than making a Skype manga series that, again, is, is kind of its own unique thing, you just integrate it as part of your main story that you know people love, that you know... Uh, has already got the merchandising and all that to right. fund it. So, like, I can see why he would do that, but a part of me really wishes we could have seen Skypea as a separate thing rather than a One Piece thing. I can I can see that complaint, and I will say I skipped... I'm a bad fan in that I skipped most of Skypea because, for me, I, when I, at the time, we had just come off... Alabasta, which was like this mm-hmm. huge arc with all these sub bosses and this the grand scale of having to save the nation of Alabasta and um, whatnot. And so going to a story beat that was so similar in Skypea was yeah. so was really boring to me. And you also have to me a kind of a generic villain that's not that mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah. And with those factors, it really hurt it and made me just want to just go to Water 7, which I am so excited that you're at Water 7 because that is a major arc that uh, we will definitely be splitting into two episodes because it's, too, it's oh, okay. too long. It's too long to talk to recap and talk about in, in one because oh, no. <laughs> there's the, the, without going into spoilers, there's some major character developments for for members of the straw hats and Mm, the that aren't just luffy and there are uh the the government the 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 marines 
who have been kind of in the background come more f- to the forefront in Water 7. Mm. I want to say at, at the time of this recording, I've read a little, I'm in the middle of the Davy back fight with the Foxy Pirates. And I'm very much enjoying the fact that we're going back to pirates and goofy pirates and doing that stuff. <laughs> Again, Skypea, the, the aesthetic and everything with Skypea was super cool. I loved it. It's not, to me, it's not One Piece to me. And this is One Piece to me. And this sort of silly, uh, over-the-top stuff we get with the, the Davy back fight. And hearing you talk about that, uh, some of the later stuff that's going to happen, I imagine it's going to go even crazier than, than everything we've seen so far. So, and well, the, the, again, the, the, so, sorry, just a little. I will I will talk about it in greater detail, but I do like the <laughs> Davy Back fights are a complete like 180 from Skypea, and yeah. that they just go go into the goofiness where Luffy wears like a 70s afro and they have to do all these. <laughs> I ridiculous. just got to that part. <laughs> yeah, awesome. When he's when he's in his boxing outfit. Great. Yeah, he, he just came out with um with the boxing outfit and the afro because they go in the place and they're like, and what's his name? Um, Usopp's like, man, this is the power of a man. This is the spirit of a fighter. Is an afro. If you wear an afro, you will be more powerful just by wearing it. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I like. I don't know how it is portrayed in the manga, but in in the uh, in the anime, like there's this one uh, member of of. The, the David Back Pirates that's like in love with Chopper and Chopper's ickiness over it and Robin's just kind of <laughs> just enjoying just the ridiculous of this. It's just like, ah, see how this goes. <laughs> <sighs> okay, well, getting it back to, to Skype though, wrapping, wrapping this but up, I, I think that my major complaint is kind of one of the things I had with Alabasta and I know just with being One Piece being One Piece, I know it's not going to get better. <laughs> it seems the the seams are showing, and that is what I mean by that is this is a weekly series, a serialized story that comes out every week in a comic fashion, chapter by chapter, and it is because it's run by money and popularity, they stretched it out a lot, and I knew this is a thing going on. It seems weird to complain about it, knowing what we're at year twenty twenty something of of one piece's run. Uh, at this point, like it's obvious that this is going to be a emphasis on long, long form media. But I really just feel like Skypea could have been half as long. You could have made it fifty, sixty chapters and cut out so much of the the mid, you know, the the, the, the mid arc fighting and stuff. And I don't know. Like I like a lot of that because we see individual characters and we get to see everybody shine. We get to see Zoro be a badass with his sword. We get to see, you know, Robin do the the Poneglyph stuff and kind of just be a stoic, badass, femme fatale figure. Like, we get all those individual things, which I like, but reading this, it was just like, come on, let's, can we finish this already? I want to move on. And when I when feel you like when your reader feels like this. When you feel that way, is it mostly just during the sub-boss fights or you're just like, come on, let's speed this, let's speed this up? Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of that. It's kind of when they. I remember thinking of that when they introduced the Shandy and the Gorilla Forces. It's like we've already got the Kami, we've already got this stuff set up. Why are they introducing a new group of people to this? Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, it made sense. Like I'm glad they did. You know, with retrospect, the power of hindsight. I'm glad they told that story like they did, 
But so much in the middle was just like, you can tell that this is a weekly thing. And you can right. tell they're drawing it out to make you come back next week when you know, it'll defeat Zoro. And it's like, oh, no, Zoro's dead. Well, of course we know Zoro's not going to be dead. But how are the Star Hats going to get out of it this time? How is Luffy going to defeat the guy that can read minds? You know, it just it kind of feels like that. And with something like Alabasta, thinking at the time that I was reading it, that, oh, this is a one-time thing. They're telling a, a huge, like, epic saga of a story it feels almost like you're reading like a novel or novel series <laughs> that made sense but they do it again right after <laughs> and it's just like uh i want to i want to get back to one piecing man i want to get back to the grand line and finding the one piece and they, they're distracted from that yet again through a completely different like swerve from the main thing and it's, uh, it's tough because I like it, but I, I, I'm frustrated by it at the same time. I like Skypiea. I like the story they told very much like I like Alabasta and the story they told there. But it does feel like it's not one piece to me. And, man, I can't imagine reading this when it was coming out. I can't imagine being in, what, the 2000s and reading one piece. And still, in 2023, reading this weekly series, man, it's just... And more power to those that do. I'm not trying to, to detract from anybody's enjoyment of this, but just coming at it years later and binging it, so to speak, uh, it can be tough sometimes. Maybe it's the binging format that's making it harder because if you think about it, mm -hmm. it's a weekly series and a yeah. week, days go by, things happen in your life. So things kind of get hazy and fuzzy about what exactly happened in the last couple chapters. So you go back, get a new chapter and you're like oh yeah that happened and it's a quick it's a quick fix like reading a shonen one piece chapter doesn't doesn't take that long right so yeah. you read it from like maybe like i don't know 20 20 minutes at most and then you move on with the rest of your week so maybe it's the binge model of having to read you're reading multiple chapters in a day and i think it'd be the same you'd have the same feeling if you're going through the tokobans where a Tokemon is usually like 10 chapters. You read the 10 chapters usually in like an hour. And then you'd have to wait a couple months for the next Tokemon. So I think what's hurting at least your experience in making things drag out is just the, the, binging, the binging aspect of it. Because probably mm -hmm. this series wasn't made to be, be read yeah. in like 20, 20 chapters in a day. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I have um, I have it set up where I have a daily to-do list. And one of those items on my to-do list is read a One Piece chapter. Uh, unfortunately, I don't actually do that every day. <laughs> I, and honestly, the, the times where I was on the ball and reading one week, one chapter a day were the times that I enjoyed have enjoyed the series the most, where I'm not binging it trying to catch up. I'm just kind of enjoying it day to day. And I think I really, you know, I keep telling myself I need to get back on that. It's just there are times where thing work gets a little crazy or I've got other things I need to do. And okay, I'll read it later. But of course I don't, you know, because I'm just a terrible person. But I, I think honestly spacing it out like that and watch a reading rather a chapter a day is the best way for me to do it. And that I think is how I need to continue going forward is yeah. uh, trying to do that. That's You need to find the rhythm that fits your speed. Like it. As we've illustrated on this show, my speed is crazy different than your speed or our friend Austin's speed or my brother's speed. 
everyone goes at their own speed at consuming what what they're doing for their media. Like, so you you just need to find your comfort speed and stick with that, and not worry mm-hmm. about like imaginary imaginary deadlines. It's all just exactly. in your head, man. <laughs> like putting out a podcast. Uh, well, I will say that the the Viz app with the scans they have, it does actually point out when you're going in from one taco bond to another. There are little things on the page that will tell you, we'll continue in one piece volume 25 or whatever. And it will show you when you finish a chapter, what, what taco bond volume is associated with that. So that may be a happy medium for me is read those 10 chapters for a taco bond and then come back later to read the next book. Yeah. Sounds like a good idea to me. Yeah. All right, well, sort of a wrap-up there. Uh, Skypea, I enjoyed it. At the end of the day, I did like the way they tied everything together. I like the way they set up this fable of Nolan the Liar, and it paid off at the end. I enjoyed the fact that we got to see sort of these other cultures. Uh, much like Alabasta, we see the Skypeans and see how their world is different. I, I did enjoy the diversion, but it still was a diversion from the One Piece, the actual Grand Line One Piece as a thing, uh, thing that we've set up and the Luffy as the King of the Pirates scenario that kind of set me back a bit, I feel like. But moving on, I know that we are in Water 7, which Bill has just said a bunch of positive things for, so I am looking forward to that and seeing how the earlier, I guess, side view to these villains, uh, people like Mihawk and Doflamingo, we briefly see uh, how they integrate with stuff. And what's the deal with Blackbeard? Like, Blackbeard shows up, he and Luffy like argue with each other. They they really just argue. They're being antagonistic well, to each other. <laughs> they show up. And Luffy's like, "This is so delicious, this food I'm eating." And Blackbeard's like, "No, it's not. It sucks." <laughs> I you know what's funny though? I remember that meeting is more like they're fighting, but they also have like a kinship with each other, just to some degree, where they recognize mm. each other as pirates. Um, right, right. And it's. And it's interesting because when you first see him, you're like, why is this guy getting a lot of screen time? Why, exactly. why is he? <laughs> and you're like, who is this character? And then you like, you learn much later, like, oh, yeah, this, oh, yeah, he, he plays a much bigger role in things. Um, and also the tease of what happens to Bellamy when he's like, oh, no, you have to deal with Don Flamingo. Good luck with, good luck with that. Um, but it's, I think my review of Skypea is I love everything about Skypea on the periphery. I mm. love the, fl- I find, I love the flashback story. I love the fight with Bellamy and everything around, uh, Bellamy and Blackbeard in the beginning. And I like them getting to Skypea. Once they get to Skypea, <laughs> I, I don't really care. Um, because you have a very you have a very boring villain that doesn't really have as an interesting backstory or charisma like Crocodile, and his lieutenants are kind of whatever, and it's repeating the same sort of story beats. And I think Oda probably recognized that, and he said, "I need to switch things up a bit, so let's do something goofy like the Davy back fights." Yeah, so, yeah. And with uh, with the foxy with the foxy pirates doing his meta meta beam which uh he's 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 a fun uh he's up there with like buggy in terms of like funny goofy characters yeah 
Yeah. Well, going back to the Blackbeard thing, I know that he's mentioned before, he and Whitebeard, but that was, you know, 200 chapters ago. So what do we know about them? We know that Ace, Luffy's brother, um, he works for Whitebeard now, is that right? Yeah, he is a he is a vice captain of Whitebeard. Okay, of the Whitebeard. And Blackbeard, we know that Bucky and Shanks worked for Blackbeard at one point, right? No, no. Black okay. Black Blackbeard was for a time a member of Whitebeard's crew. Mm, okay. So Blackbeard well, Whitebeard has he seems like a big major player and it wouldn't surprise me if Whitebeard is a warlord but under him there was blackbeard and then on at the same time you had buggy and shanks right so we see this whole flashback where buggy and shanks were rivals they were friends but they were kind of rivals at the same time and then they split off from was it if they I split re- off from blackbeard's crew and no if i remember correctly like shanks and buggy were basically like cabin boys for Whitebeard's crew. For Whitebeard, okay. For yeah, We see that arc there. I, this is that's like, like so much is coming back to like the beards, whether it's white or black beard. Like <laughs> it's so much of the story is obviously coming back to them, and seeing Blackbeard here is the you know, testament to that. And we did see a brief glimpse into Whitebeard at one point, but it wasn't like a whole lot of detail. So I feel like that's kind of where the story is coming to a head. Is we're eventually going to get a showdown yeah. or more. We, we we get more insight into who actually works for who and what I, these individual pirates are doing. I, I don't think this is a huge spoiler, so I'm just going to say Whitebeard is a pillar of the world of one, of One Piece. Like I mean, that makes a, sense. He's a he is a one of the major players and one of the um, he's even he's bigger than a warlord. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what, it, that's what it kind of feels like as we keep mentioning these people and that's what you talk about when Blackbeard shows up. That was kind of surprising to me because we do hear about Blackbeard before as a, maybe not an iconic player like that, but certainly an important character. So to see them mention it, have him kind of a silly fight with Luffy and then to have him go away, it's, uh, it's interesting and I'm interested to see how that plays out in the future. Well, one one thing that I really enjoy about One Piece is usually after a major arc, they show other things that are going on in the world, mm-hmm. and that's one thing that I a great example of of Oda storytelling is there are other things going on in the world of of One Piece. It's not just a standstill mm-hmm. as Luffy and crew are fighting whoever they are at this moment of the week. Other things are going on at the same time. that in the, the the later arcs like i said i've started water seven is going through the first little bit of that 
This is a this is a bit of a long one, right? Isn't Water Seven kind of it's, a long arc? It's it's super long. We're gonna we're basically gonna split it into two parts because there's the Water Seven arc, and then there's Innie's lobby. So okay, so looking at the wiki here, it looks like the part I'm in now is called Long Ring Long Land Arc, which is only 19 chapters, and then Water Seven is 53 chapters. Uh, I want to say that's actually. Skypie was 66, and Alabasta, I want to say, was uh, 63. Okay, so it's not quite as long as Skypie or Alabasta, but again, I've had quite a lot of time, spent a lot of time reading this stuff, so... Well, I think, like you said, it'll be... Honestly, I think it'll be more than two, because, as we mentioned, the format is now... We're not going to wait. Like Bill said, we're not going to wait for imaginary deadlines. We're just going to record these episodes as they come. And that may be a monthly thing. That may be a bi-monthly thing. We'll see as they play out. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's go ahead and wrap up the show, I guess, with that. Just continue. We certainly are going to try. Again, I don't want to jinx us. We're going to try to put the show out on a more regular basis. I think things have kind of slowed down a bit in our lives where this can sort of take priority to a degree. And there's, there's big things happening. Like like we mentioned earlier, there's the live-action Netflix One Piece show. which they will, yeah. And I'll be back on 14 when the uh, the next expansion opens up for free-to-play players so i'll be back on the 14 train around october when that gets out absolutely all right well as a reminder we do have an email address we have for commentary questions anything like that we unfortunately have not got any since our first email Uh, so please please send us an email a shout out whether you want to fight us on why we didn't like Enel or Skypia. Maybe if you want to agree with us, maybe if you liked one of our points we made and wanted to give some more context about that, maybe your own experience in reading Skypia, or if you want to call us a bunch of dumb nerds and how we're wrong we are about One Piece, feel free to send us an email there. Uh, our email address is a grand line reborn, all one word, at gmail.com. Once again, a grand line reborn at gmail.com. Like Bill mentioned at the top of the show, uh, I am now a regular contributor to the Carbogo Chronicle, the awesome cast, dedicated Final Fantasy XIV podcast. Uh, Episode 16 will be my FanFest breakdown with Basil and Emma. We also have recorded our thoughts on the 7.0 Dawn Trail expansion that we were able to see there in episode 15. And I'm sure we will continue to talk about the various happenings in the lead up to 7.0 in the months to come. So you can find the Carbogon Chronicle at awesomecast.com. Uh, we also, uh, Anna's also created a YouTube channel if YouTube podcasts are more your thing. You can find us there, it is at Carbogon Chronicle. And uh, the Twitter for that show is at CarbyCast, C-A-R-B-Y-C-A-S-T, on Twitter. Also, sidebar, everything goes around in circles. The new expansion they announced for 14 has a lot of One Piece vibes based off the the trailer. So it is kind of funny how everything is connected. (laughs) 
I want to say it's largely spoiler free. So Bill, if you wanted to watch that, I would say, except for maybe, you know, the fact that your character is still alive and doesn't die at the end of Inwalker, you know, if that considered a spoiler, well, I just spoiled it for you if it was, <laughs> oops. Uh, but like, there's no big spoiler thing because they are starting, it's pretty much starting a new arc <laughs> of the story. We know we're going to an island. It kind of gives us a bit of the setup for that island. But yeah, we were just one-piecing with our bros, the the Scions of the Seventh Dawn. So uh, even if you're not caught up, I think you could safely watch the Dawn Trail trailer, the the teaser they put out so far. Hmm. And uh, so in a bit of a change from our previous episodes, we are on social media. I have just recently returned to the world of microblogging, microposting. Uh, I am on Blue Sky. Uh, I kind of t- testing that out, d- dipping my toe in, in those cloudy waters on Blue Sky. You can find me there at, at R Tobias. I think it's like the full thing is R Tobias.bsky.app or dot social, whatever. Just search for R Tobias and you should be able to find me. And Bill is there as well. I finally roped him into getting a Blue Sky account at his typical <laughs> WB Foreman 999. Uh, on the site there too. All right, Bill, any closing thoughts? Any final remarks? Any things you want to recommend to the audience? Uh, I'd say if you are a bit intimidated by Skype or weren't, weren't that interested in getting through all of it, there's recently in the past couple of years, they came out with the episode of Skype recap special, which is on Crunchyroll, oh. so you can... So you can check that out there. It's very similar hmm. to the episode of East Blue. It's funny you say that because I thought there was only two recap movies with uh, uh, what East Blue and Alabasta. I didn't know there was a, a third. Yeah, the Skypea one came out, uh, I think maybe like two or three years ago. So it's uh, relatively is, new. Is there a Water 7 recap movie? <laughs> no. Sadly, no. Not yet. Okay. Well, we'll certainly make those episodes as well. Uh, just like for East Blue, we will eventually do an Alabasta one, and we will eventually do a Skype one, I'm sure. You know, yeah, and on that I, note, there are One Piece movies, like general non-canon movies that are out too. We may have to do an episode on some of those. Yeah, the early the early movies are like, if you grew up watching those early Dragon Ball or Dragon Ball Z movies, yeah. they kind of yeah, remind man. those early... Those early One Piece movies remind me a lot of those. And then the yeah. later ones, like One Piece Red and One Piece Gold and Z, have a much higher production value budget. So when we get to certain points in the One Piece story, we'll definitely do the later One Piece movies. It looks like the one I keep hearing people talk about is Baron Omatsuri. Uh, it looks like the full title is Baron Omatsuri and the Secret Island, which, looking at this, is the sixth one Piece movie. Mm. I know th- this one gets a lot of sh- uh, attention because it's directed by Mamoru Hosoda, one of uh, our favorite directors here. So I think if nothing else, we'll definitely do a Baron Omatsuri episode for sure. Yeah, well, you, we could easily get through those early movies really quickly because they're very much like jump fest length of they're usually mm. under an hour, <laughs> and you can you can where they do like a double bill of here's this movie of one piece. And then here we have another Shonen movie. So uh, yeah, we could definitely get through those early movies pretty quickly. 
looking at the wiki now about Baron Amatsuri, and it says uh, the movie uh, was was in theaters at the same time as Rockman.exe in Duel Masters, and <laughs> eventually was pushed out by Shark Tale. If that gives you an idea of when this movie wow. came out, 2005. Man, I haven't heard of Shark Tale. Thought about Shark gotta, Tale in forever. Gotta give way to Martin Scorsese Shark. Uh, all right well if there's nothing else we can go ahead and wrap up here bill yep as usual till sea swallows all set sail for one piece yahoo